ask that you please uh, help me uh, in regards to being able to preach your word. And Lord, you know I need your help. And Father, I just ask that you'd help my mind to be clear and uh, to be able to just deal with the things we're dealing with right now, which is the most important thing we can deal with, and that's your word. pray you help everyone to be attentive. And Lord, that your uh, Holy Spirit would minister to us tonight. Thank you for those who come out on a Wednesday night to have Bible study. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter number uh, 11. And um, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, <clears throat> you know that we've gone through every uh, verse and chapter up until this point. And we've seen Moses uh, in Egypt. We've seen him be called of God. We've seen him come back to Egypt. And we've seen the previous nine plagues or nine wonders that God uh, bestowed upon Egypt in order to uh, let his uh, children go. And here in chapter number 11, which is just ten verses, and also chapter number 12, we deal with this last tenth plague. And uh, there's just three very quick points that I want to show you from this passage tonight. And uh, I, I, think, I think we can learn something from from the passage tonight. And point number one, I'd like you to see it in verse number one. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, and I want you to, to see what God is saying. He says, Yet will I bring, and I want you to notice this, God says, One plague more. Now, I want you to understand this. God has not made a statement like this before this verse. And God, and I think we can all trust God, God is very sure of Himself that this is the last plague. God is very sure of Himself that this is the last time that Moses is going to have to do this. And the Bible says there in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Notice the confidence that God has. He says, Afterwards, He will let you go hence. When He shall let you go, He shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. And what I'd like you to see, point number one tonight, is this. God knows exactly how far to push. God, remember we talked about it last week. In fact, uh, look at verse number 28 of the previous chapter. Uh, or look at verse 27 of the previous chapter there. It says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, talking to Moses, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Pharaoh is the one who brought the relationship between himself and between the man of God and between God to a halt. He is the, Pharaoh is the one who made that choice. He said, Moses, I don't want to see you again. The next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And that really pushed God to a position where he could no longer have communication or interaction with Pharaoh and, and it pushed God to a place where he had to do what God knew would work from uh, to, to cause Pharaoh to let the people go. And that's why he makes those statements. He says, I'm going to bring one plague more. He says, afterwards, he will uh, let you go hence. But something that I think is very interesting, and I don't know that you caught it uh, when we were back there, but go with me to Exodus chapter number 4. I didn't bring it to your attention at that time, because I wanted to bring it to your attention this time, uh, in this chapter. But if you look at Exodus chapter number 4, if you look at verse number 21... If you remember, in Exodus chapter 4 is when uh, we're dealing with the subject of God 
calling Moses into the ministry, calling Moses as his prophet to go into Egypt. So this is before Moses ever even goes back. This is before the first plague. This is before Moses ever says the words, you know, let my people go. And in Exodus chapter number 4, in verse 21, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he will not let the people go. Now notice verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And notice verse 23. This is what God said before Moses ever went to Egypt, before Moses ever got to Egypt. Uh, God said, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Verse 23. Keep in mind, chapter 4. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And this is God talking. He says, And if thou refuse to let him go, my firstborn son Israel, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Now you say, well, Pastor, what is so, what's so interesting about that? Here's what's interesting about that. Before Moses ever stepped foot in Egypt, God knew exactly what he was going to have to do to make Pharaoh uh, do what God wanted him to do. Do you understand that? I mean, before Moses ever went back to Egypt, God already had it planned. The last plague, the last wonder, the last thing I'm going to do, before Pharaoh uh, finally yields and finally humbles himself and finally, you know, comes to the place where he, he, he uh, submits to my will, he, he said there, he told Moses before Moses ever went to Egypt, he said, and I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. You say, what can we learn from that? Go back to uh, Exodus chapter number 10. Well, here's what we can learn from it. God knows exactly what He's got to do, what button He's got to push, what, what uh, situation He has to put you through in order to get you to fold, Pharaoh. And then you ask this question, well, why didn't God do it? Well, God didn't do it because God didn't want to kill His firstborn son. And what I want you to understand, in fact, are you there in Exodus chapter 10? Look at verse number 7. Do you remember when Moses was going through all these plagues? Remember what the children of, uh, uh, of Egypt said? If you're there in Exodus chapter number uh, 10, verse 7. The Bible says in Exodus 10, 7, And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. And notice what they said. This is, this is while, while God's in the middle of doing all these plagues. He, they, they said, Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. We look at God sometimes, and we say, God is so mean. God is so cruel. He's putting the Egyptians through all of these nine horrible plagues, nine different things, where he, he destroys the land of Egypt. That's what they said. They said Egypt is destroyed. But here's what you need to understand. Actually, the nine plagues are actually God's mercy. And the ninth plagues are actually God's grace. Because God knew exactly what He needed to do to get Pharaoh to fold. But notice, God didn't step in and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And He ordered His heart and said, no. And then, okay, I'm going to take your firstborn son. You understand that? God didn't go there directly. Nine different times God gave Pharaoh a warning. Nine different times God gave Pharaoh a chance to repent, to get right, to come to the senses, to, to humble himself and to give up. Nine, and, and you and I would look at that and say, well, that's not much of mercy and that's not much of grace. That's not much of a chance. You know, you're destroying Egypt. But when God, compared to what God did, every the Bible tells us, we'll see it here in a second. And there was not a home in Egypt that did not lose a life on that day. 
seem like that big of a deal. And those swarms did not seem like that big of a deal. And I'm sure they'd be willing to go back to the river being uh, blood. And see, you and I often will go through things in life and we'll say, what is God doing to me? And why is God putting me through this? And why is God... God may be trying to get your attention. And you say, well, God, He's destroying my life. No, you don't know what's coming. You don't know that God knows what He's got to do to get... And He's given you a chance. He says, here, have some frogs. And while you're going through the frogs, and while you're going through the swarms, and while you're going through the hail, and while your cattle is dying, you're thinking, why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? And what you don't know is that God's actually holding back His hand and giving you a chance. And you know, in my life and in your life, we would be wise to learn from Pharaoh and figure out that it is better to humble ourselves and it is better to give up and it is better to say, God, I get it, I get the message, and not push God to the point where He pushes that button that you don't want Him to push. Because He already knew what Pharaoh needed. He already knew that it was going to take Pharaoh losing his son for the children of Israel to go before he ever sent Moses. And he still took the time to give him nine plagues. And I personally believe he would have gave many more if it wasn't because Pharaoh said, I don't want to see you anymore. See, God knows how far to push you. God knows exactly how far to take you. And when you know that God is trying to get your attention and you know that God is trying to get you know you to pay attention and you know that God's trying to humble you, I'm telling you, you would be wise to pay attention. And say, okay, God, I get it. Okay, God, what do you want? Whatever you want, God, I'll do it. Because that tenth plague made all nine other plagues look like a bunch of games, a bunch of silliness. They would have loved to go back to those nine. God knows how far to push. God knew exactly what He needed to do. And God's mercy. And so, see, often you and I will say, God's such a mean God, and God's punishing me, and God's destroying me. No, it's actually God's mercy. It's actually God's grace. It's actually the fact that He's allowing you to live in fornication, and He hasn't destroyed you yet. It's actually, that's grace. You say, well, well God's doing this to get my attention. No, he, he's, doing, he's doing you a favor. When He knows that you're in sin, and He knows that you know that you're in sin, and you know that you're wrong, and you know that you're doing wrong, and He allows you to do it anyway, and He allows you to harden your heart. See, see, we think, oh, uh, uh, you know, God, you know, just the fact that Pharaoh was allowed to harden his heart was mercy from God. Because when his son died, his heart was too broken to be hardened. You understand what I'm saying? You and I need to figure out very quickly how it is to break our hearts before God and humble ourselves before God. Because God knows exactly what to do. And we think, we look back and we think, oh God, God's not going to cross that line. Let me tell you something, God will cross that line. But He knows what He's doing. I said, number one, God knows exactly how much to push. I said, number two, God knows how much to pay. You're there in Exodus chapter 11, look at verse number two. The Bible says, speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man, I want you to notice this, he says, let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of of the people. Now, just real quickly, and we're going to deal with Exodus 12 next week, but I'm just going to show you a few verses in Exodus 12. But go to the next chapter, Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse number 29. And I want you to see exactly how, how this happened. 
We go from Pharaoh saying to Moses, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And in verse 29, the Bible says, And it came to pass, of Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, And it came to pass, that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captives that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Could you imagine what that must have been like? And he called Pharaoh, verse 31, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night. He didn't wait till the next day. Remember, remember the frogs? What, Pharaoh, when do you want me to get rid of the frogs? Oh, tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. He's not waiting till tomorrow anymore. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night. And said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone. Remember before, he's like, okay, go, go, but leave your children. Or go, but don't go very far. Or go, but leave your cattle. Do you remember that? Not anymore. God knows exactly what he used to do. He says, also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone. And this Pharaoh, who said, who is the Lord that I should serve him? Now he's saying this, and bless me also. Do you see that? You say, well, what happened when Pharaoh took, when God took Pharaoh's son? Here's what happened. Pharaoh finally got to a place where he realized, this is the Lord. This is God. And whatever he wants, I'll give. And in fact, bless me while you're at it, Moses. Because I need a blessing from this God. Look at verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people, that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they, I want you to notice this word, spoiled the Egyptians. That word spoiled there, if you study the word spoiled in the Bible or just in history, the word spoiled there is actually a type of military word. It's the word they use to refer to when an army would take over a land or take over a country, and then they would go in and after they captured you know, all the, uh, the, the men there or killed all the men, after they had a, vict- a victory, they would go in and then they would spoil the land. They, what that means is they would pillage it. What that means is they, they would take from it. Um, the definition there is to plunder, to take goods by force, to take booty. To, 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 that's how you would pay your armies in those days. Your army would come, they would destroy a land, and then you pay your military men by allowing them to take the spoil of the land. And the Bible uses that terminology about the children of Israel. And the Bible says that they spoiled the Egyptians because they said, uh, you know, the, the, the Egyptians said, uh, you know, what do you, get out of here. What do you need to serve your God? And they said, well, if I could borrow jewels, and if I could borrow uh, necklaces, if I could borrow gold, if I could borrow those pearls there. But here's the thing, the children of Israel are not coming back. <laughs> and God allowed them to spoil God allowed them to take. Now, you know, at first glance we would think to ourselves, well, this is, this is wrong. They're stealing from the Egyptians. Or this is wrong. They're, they're, um, they said they're going to borrow, and they, but they're not coming back. And what you need to understand is this. Go with me just real quick to Ephesians chapter number 6. 
in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6. Look at verse number 8. Ephesians 6, 8 says this. Ephesians chapter number 6 in your New Testament. Right before the book of Philippians. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. That word bond there is talking about being in bondage or being a slave. That's what the children of Israel were. Let me tell you something. You say, well, what can we learn from that? Here's what we can learn. I said, number one, we can learn that God knows how far to push. But number two, we can learn that God knows how much to pay. The children of Israel, and we'll learn this as we continue there in chapter 12, were in bondage. They were in slavery for 430 years. For 430 years, they got up every day. They worked hard every day. They were beaten. They were uh, mistreated. They were not treated. Treated right for 430 days or years. They labored. Did I say days? I meant years. 430 years. They labored and they never received one penny for it. Never got anything for it. Could you imagine going to work every day and just not receiving anything? 430 years. Now here's the thing. You and I would complain and whine about it. And we, and we would say, well, well, that's not fair. You know, I did all this work and, I, and I've done all these things and they've used me to build these great monuments and, and, and I've labored and I've worked and I've not got paid. But let me tell you something. God made sure before they left Egypt that they got paid. Did you notice that? God made sure before they left Egypt, the last thing they did before they got out of Egypt, before they got out of bondage, is they took a big paycheck from the Egyptians because they took silver and they took gold and they took riches and God allowed them, He uses this word, He allowed them to spoil. God knows exactly how much to pay. And if you're there in Ephesians 6, 8, the Bible says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Let me tell you something. The scoreboard is always correct in heaven. And you and I need to stop worrying about the fact that, well, so-and-so mistreated me, and so-and-so did this to me, and so-and-so did that to me, and I'm going to get back to that. I'm going I'm to do something worse to that. And I'm going to make sure I get paid for that. And I'm going to make sure that I get, I get what's coming to me. Look, let me tell you something. You just do what you're supposed to do. The Bible says, uh, let's read it again, knowing that whatsoever good thing, you just do good things. Any man do it. The same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Let me tell you something. God will always pay you. God will always reward you. And if not in this life, then in the next life. But we need to not be walking around with a chip on our shoulder, just, you know, keeping a little list of everyone that's ever done me wrong. Brother Charles did not say hi to me today. He's on my list. And I'm going to make sure next time he tries to talk to me, I'm going to ignore him so he knows how it feels. Look, why not live our lives like that? I live a very bitter and depressed life if you're just constantly trying to get pain. You say, well, I'm in bondage and it's not fair. Don't worry, God will let you spoil when he decides at the time. God knows how much to push. God knows how much to pay. I want you to see, if you're there in Ephesians, go with me to 2 Timothy. I want, I want you to see this in, in, in the New Testament, this concept. 2 Timothy, you just go a few uh, books towards the right there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse number 14. The Apostle Paul is being used of the Holy Spirit to 
write the book of 2 Timothy. And the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Notice his response though. He says, the Lord reward him according to his works. Do you see that? He, he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil and I'm going to give back. No, he said, hey, the Lord reward him according to his works. He says, let God, let God will take care of it. He said, hey, a famous preacher in the past preached a sermon. He said, payday is Sunday. And let me tell you something. Every one of us is going to get paid or we're going to have to pay for what we've done. And you just let God take care of it. You just let God do it in its own timing. The children of Israel did not have to gather an army. The children of Israel did not have to save money so they can get some weapons. So they can go fight against the most powerful nation on earth. So that they can get paid for the last 430 years. But when they let God move and they let God work, God made sure that they got paid. God knows how much to pay. I said number one, God knows how far to push. I said number two, God knows how much to pay. Number three, I want you to see that God knows who to punish. Go, go back to Exodus chapter number 11. I told you it's just ten, ten verses tonight. It shouldn't be very long. Exodus chapter number 11. Look at verse number four. Exodus 11 and verse four. The Bible says, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Now I want you to notice this. He says, All the firstborn in the children of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, most powerful man on earth at this time, that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. I want you to notice something, and he does the same thing in the next chapter also. But he says, he says, I'm going to take the life of the firstborn, and he says, I'm going to take the life of the firstborn of every family. He says, all the way from Pharaoh to the little maid servant that lives behind the mill. And I want you to notice something and understand something, that God is not a respecter of persons. Pharaoh did not get out of God's punishment because he was Pharaoh, and the maid servant did not get out of God's punishment because she was a maid servant. God treats everybody exactly the same. Let me show you a few verses. Go with me to uh, Leviticus. You're there in Exodus, very next book in the Bible. Leviticus chapter number 19. Look at verse number 15. Leviticus chapter number 19 and verse 15. Leviticus 19.15 says this. Leviticus 19.15 says, He shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Notice this is God commanding the children of Israel how they should act. He says, Thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor, nor honor the persons of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. He said, Don't respect the person of the poor, and don't honor the person of the mighty. Here's what he's saying. Don't treat people differently based on where they happen to be economically, or their skin color, or where they happen to live, or anything. He said, he said treat everybody equally. Treat them the same. Go to uh, Deuteronomy. You're there in Leviticus. Numbers, then the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 1. Deuteronomy, chapter number 1. You still with me? I know. I knew I shouldn't have announced those cupcakes. I lost you when I said cupcakes. Deuteronomy, chapter number 1. Look at verse number uh, 17. Deuteronomy, chapter number 1. And verse 17, look what the Bible says. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment. But ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, 
For the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for thee, for you, uh, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. This is when Moses was training men to be able to judge uh, the people. And he said, look, don't be a respected persons in judgment. He said, don't, don't lean towards favors, towards so-and-so over, because he's got a lot of money. He says, hear the small as well as the great. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. He says, God is not a respecter of persons. Go with me uh, to Romans chapter number 2 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 2. Look at verse number 11. Romans chapter number 2. And look at verse number 11. Romans 2.11 spells it out very clearly. Romans chapter number 2. And verse 11, the Bible says, For there is no respect of persons with God. God does not have any more respect for any one human than He does for another. He looks at every single human the same. He looks at every single one of us the same. And by the way, that would solve the racism problem in America. If we just understood that God looks at all of us like wicked sinners condemned to hell and we all need a Savior. The Bible says, for there is no respect of persons with God. And what we need to understand, first of all, uh, well, go, go with me to uh, James uh, in, in your New Testament there, pa- after the book of Hebrews, James chapter number 2. God knows who to punish, but you got to understand something. When God punishes, James chapter number 2, when God punishes, He does not punish or He does not judge in respect of persons because God has no respect of persons. There is no respect of persons with God. And in the same way, you and I ought to have no respect of persons. You're there in James chapter number 2, look at verse 1. They give us a very, uh, the book of James is a very good example, very applicable. James 2, 1 says, My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with, with notice what he says, respect of persons. So he's talking about Christian, living the Christian life. He said, don't have faith, but have it with respect of persons. Notice, he gives an example, verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and he have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial, partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Notice, he's talking about a church service. And he says, look, just as somebody walks, you know, they, they drive in and they're nice, you know, whatever. Mercedes. Like, that's supposed to impress us. And they come in, they got a nice ring on, they got a real nice suit on. You know, they, they've got a nice, you know, tie on, and they just look sharp. I mean, they just look good. I mean, they just look like they've got money. Could you imagine if, if Brother Vincent, our usher, and I know Brother Vincent never does. Could you imagine if he was just like, oh, hi, man, we're so glad you made it here. Have a bulletin and, and take the visitor. Let me, let me show you to your seat. Can I get, can I get you some coffee? On Sunday morning. And then you walks in, you know, I don't know. Someone else. Brother Ron. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and Brother Vincent's like, and Brother Ron's like, where should I sit? Brother Vincent's like, here, sit, sit on the floor, like, right next to my footstool. <laughs> see, you ought not have, but here's the thing. You and I often do that. And especially in churches. Look, let me tell you something. Everybody in this church ought to be treated with respect and dignity. Everybody ought to be treated courteously. You know, we, not have, we ought not have this attitude where there's just like the predetermined village idiot that we're just all going to mock and make fun of and, and, and be mean to. The Bible says, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving.
even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You say, why do I have to be kind to so-and-so? They're so rude. Why do I have to be kind to so-and-so? They, they look funny, or they smell bad, or they whatever. For the same reason that God's nice to you, because guess what? To God, you look funny, and to God, you smell bad, and to God, you're not you know, very good looking either. And this church ought never be the place where just people are just rude and people just mouth at their, you know, just just say whatever they want. Today, I, I don't understand it. I wish I could put it into words or I wish I could put it into some sort of a thought concept. One day I will sit down and actually write down some notes of what I feel in regards to this and preach a sermon. But today we have uh, uh, established a society where people think it's a uh, good thing. They think it's a good attribute to be a jerk. Do you understand what I'm saying? Today, like, women and men pride themselves on the fact, well, I just call it like it is. I just say what I think. I don't care. Look, let me tell you something. That's not a good attribute. That's called being rude. That's called being a jerk. You know, there used to be a time in our society when mothers would teach their children, if you have nothing good to say, shut your mouth. I think that's what they said. <laughs> something like that. I may have it wrong. You know, we gotta get back to the place where we have some chivalry and we have some kindness and we don't look at someone and say, oh, there's brother so-and-so, he's such an idiot. There's sister so-and-so. You know, you gotta be kind and nice and loving to, you know, you say, well, I love, I love the pastor. Why? Because he's a pastor? I sure love the pastor's wife, but so, sister so-and-so, she's annoying. Why? Because she's the pastor's wife? You know, and love the pastor's wife, please. <laughs> but you gotta love everybody. You gotta be kind to everybody. Yeah, there ought to be no respect of persons with God, because guess what? There's no respect of per- oh, oh, in church because there's no respect of person with God. God is not a respecter of persons. But I want you to understand something. Go back to Exodus chapter 11. I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. Exodus chapter number 11. Some of you are like, I can smell the frosting. <laughs> Exodus chapter number 11. Look at verse number... Six. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. Now, actually, read verse 5 again. And all the firstborns in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservants that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. God is not respecter of persons. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. But, notice verse 7, But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Let me tell you something. God is not a respecter of persons. What I mean by that is individuals. Individually, you have nothing to offer to God that any other human being can't offer the same. And God says, I will have no respect for a person. But let me tell you something. God does have a respect of people. You understand what I'm saying? The children of Israel did not have their children die. Not because God respected the individual persons, but because God respected the group of people that were the children of Israel. Let me tell you something. Yes, I will not be punished. I will never see the flames of hell. I will never uh, you know, see the punishment that God has. But it's not because of anything I've done as an individual, but it's because of the people that 
a person, but I will have respect for a people. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's what that means. God does not look at Christians the same as He looks at the rest of the world. See, I don't like that. Well, that's what the Bible says. Look at verse 7. The Lord does put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. That's why your best friends ought not be worldly people. That's why your friend. you say, well, where can I find good friends? Well, maybe if you showed up to church every once in a while, you might be able to develop some friends. Maybe you showed up a little early and start and stop having respect to persons and start shaking people's hands and kind of you know asking people how they're doing and start build, building relationships. You could have some godly friends, but you ought not. You say, well, my best friend is so and so, and they're just whatever. You know, they're just unsaved or they're an hey, that's not right. The Bible says that we ought, we shouldn't be yoked up with unbelievers. You know. As Christians, you know, you young kids that, that haven't got married yet, you ought not marry an unbeliever. You, ought, you say, well, I'm not going to marry an unbeliever. Then don't date one either. Because that's the purpose of dating is to get married. Amen. And by the way, if you're 13, you shouldn't be dating anyway. Because I, I remember a 13-year-old is not ready to get married. The purpose of dating is to get married. And by the way, if you're already married and you've been divorced, you shouldn't be dating either. Because guess what? The purpose of dating is to get married. You're already married. You understand what I'm saying? But we ought not yoke ourselves with unbelievers. We ought not part. You say, well, why? Because God doesn't see you and them the same. And God will actually judge you differently. Why? Because I'm special? No, because you belong to a special people. A peculiar people. A unique people. A holy nation. A called out assembly. It has nothing to do with you individually. It has to do with the people you belong to. And if you belong to a holy people... If you belong to a peculiar people, if you belong to a godly people, if you belong to a ransomed people, maybe you ought to act looking and start acting and start living and start thinking and start talking like what God sees you. You say, well, how does He see me? Godly and righteously and separated. When God looks at you, you know He doesn't see you, He sees Jesus Christ. That's who He sees. So it might help the situation if you start acting like Jesus Christ. God, I said number one, knows how far to push. God knows how much to pay. And God knows who to punish. He's not a respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of people. He will forgive a people. The Bible says about Jesus that He came to save His people from their sins. You say, well, what can we do about those Egyptians? Here's what we can do. We can go reach those people and bring them into the fold so that they don't have to see God's punishment and they don't have to see God's judgment. They cannot stand before God on their own, but they can stand in a group of God's people. That's the purpose of Verity Baptist Church. By the way, that is the purpose of Verity Baptist Church. I don't, I don't know how else to say it, or because I don't want people to, uh, you know, just think that I'm we're giving you the wrong idea here or trying to string you along. The purpose of Verity Baptist Church is not for you to come to church three times a week and sit here and do nothing with your life. The reason we preach, you know, fifty verses a uh, sermon and teach so much Bible and don't back down and just, uh, you know, preach the gospel and preach it, is this, so we can equip you to go make a difference. To go do something. To go work. To not just be a spectator or a bystander, but be part of the fight. God is not a respecter of people, but He does respect 
He doesn't respect persons, but he does respect people. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do ask that you'd please use the sermon tonight. And Lord, uh, that you'd help us to see from even, even a short ten verse chapter that you're constantly working in the affairs of men. And you're constantly trying to help us and challenge us. Lord, we love you. Help us to act like your people. In your precious name I pray. Amen.